Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And I'm Chris. And we are the Film Flamers. Coming back with another anthology this Halloween season with Tales from the Crypt. That's right, the 1972 version. Right, not the fun TV show, the old movie. (laughs) Yeah, the one that's very 70s and very, very British. But you should watch it. I mean, and this is the first time watch for both of us, right? Neither one of us have seen this movie before. Oh, I thought you had seen probably parts of it. No. The one I was thinking of when we were originally crafting our docket was Trilogy of Terror, which is an American film. So, uh, yeah, this was quite the adventure for both of us. Yes, it was. Yeah. Much more for you than me. Yeah, we'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. So Tales from the Crypt is, as we said, is a 1972 British anthology horror film directed by Freddie Francis. The film, consisting of five segments adapted from EC Comics, was produced by Amicus Production, which made several horror anthology films throughout the 1970s. The film stars Joan Collins, Peter Cushing, and Ralph Richardson. I loved seeing a young Joan Collins. Me too. That was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. The plot focuses on a group of five strangers who encounter the mysterious cryptkeeper in the catacombs. He reveals to each of them the possible manner in which they might die in the hopes that they might stray from their evil ways. Will they? No. Let's find out. (laughs) Okay, listeners. You were cruel and mean right from the start. Now you can truly say you have no heart. This is Tales from the Crypt. Five British strangers, who apparently have nothing better to do, randomly decide to stop and take a tour of some local catacombs. These strangers also have a hard time following directions because they get separated from the main tour group, despite the many pleas of the guide. They find themselves trapped in a tomb, a crypt if you will, and a mysterious man appears, who keeps the crypt. (laughs) 
He is the Crypt Keeper, played by Ralph Richardson, and he explains that each of them being there is not just happenstance. He will show each of them a vision of how they might die once they've ended their tour. Their three-hour tour. (laughs) That's just the first part. (laughs) Our first story features Joanne Clayton and her problems all through the house. On Christmas Eve, Richard Clayton is busy placing gifts under the tree for his family, including a very special gift for his wife, Joanne, played by Joan Collins. He sits down in his chair to do some light reading when Joanne decides to give Richard his present early. A whack to the head with a fireplace poker. His lifeless, bloody body falls to the floor on their plush white carpet. Joanne checks on her very excited daughter, who is eagerly awaiting Santa upstairs. She knows that she must clean up after her crime, and sets about making it look like an accident. In the process, she hears a radio announcement that a crazed man in a Santa costume has escaped from the local asylum. She locks her doors and windows and sees the lunatic outside her house. Unable to call the police because of her crime, she quickly stages the accident. She attempts to call the police but notices an open window. Frightened for her daughter's safety, she calls to her. Her daughter appears with the Santa maniac. Thinking he was the actual Santa, that stupid little bitch let him inside. Santa begins to strangle Joanne and her fabrics. My behavior at Joanne Fabrics is not a representation of who I am. <laughs> Our next story features Carl Maitland in his Reflections of Death. Carl Maitland, played by Ian Hendry, has been a very bad boy. He's been sleeping with another woman and has made plans to leave his family to be with her forever. He kisses his wife goodbye and goes to pick up his hussy, Susan, that bitch. They drive off into the night to start their new life, but Carl is tired, and Susan takes the wheel. He has a nightmare and wakes up just in time for Susan, that bitch, to get into an accident. He again awakes after being thrown from the burning car. He attempts to hitchhike home, but everyone he meets is horrified by his appearance. He makes his way back to his home, where his wife is now seemingly married to another man. She shrieks in horror when she answers his knocks at the door. Thinking his mistress might have made it home after the wreck, she is in fact home and has been blinded by the accident. She is surprised to hear from him and tells him that he cannot be Carl because Carl died in an accident two years ago. He looks down at his reflection on the table and sees that he is now a hideous zombie. (laughs) Suddenly, Carl wakes back in the car with Susan, that bitch. Phew, it was all a dream. Until she again fucks things up and crashes the car again. Our third vision is filled with poetic justice for James Elliot. James Elliot, played by Robin Phillips, lives with his father across the street from an elderly widower, Edward Grimsdyke, played by Peter Cushing, who owns a lot of dogs and likes to lavish gifts on the neighborhood children, because that's not at all creepy for an old man to do. The Elliots despise Grimsdyke and see him as a blight on their posh neighborhood. James hates him so much, it's like flames on the side of his face. So he decides to start a smear campaign. He makes it so Grimsdyke has all of his beloved dogs seized, and he tells the other neighbors that he's a dirty, filthy old man so they will no longer let their children around him. What James doesn't know is Grimsdyke is an occult dabbler, and regularly dabbles with his wife, who seances. (laughs) During one of which, he warns him that he's in danger. Girl. (laughs) Grimsdyke, you in danger, girl. (laughs) 
Finally, on Valentine's Day, Grimsdyke receives a shitload of cards, supposedly from the neighbors, all of whom have written hurtful poetry about him. Knowing he has nothing to live for, he hangs himself. One year later, Grimsdyke rises from the grave to exact revenge. He finds James sitting at a desk and kills him. The following morning, James' father finds his dead son with a note on the desk. The note reads, You were mean and cruel right from the start. Now you can truly say you have no... And in a place the final words is James' bloody heart. Bum, bum, bum. Our 45th story <laughs> is Wish You Were Here, featuring Ralph Jason. Ralph Jason, played by Richard Green, is a ruthless businessman. He's also not a very good businessman, as he is dangerously close to financial ruin. He and his wife, Enid, decide they must sell many of their art pieces to stay afloat. They reminisce about buying one particular statue and the warning they got from the man who sold it to them. They must never look at their art because they finally notice an inscription on the statue and realize that they were granted three wishes. Enid wishes for lots and lots of money, but Ralph is reminded of the story of the monkey's paw and how those wishes always ended in horror. Ralph is called down to his lawyer to discuss some money matters, but is killed on the way when a motorcyclist wearing a skull mask causes him to crash. Enid is later told that she is very rich again because of Ralph's insurance. She's distraught and wants him back. She wishes that he would return to her exactly how he was right before the accident. Seconds later, his coffin is brought in and set up in the living room. Enid, confused as to why he isn't alive, learns that Ralph actually died from a heart attack moments before the crash. Enid uses her third wish to make Ralph alive again and to live forever. Siempre viva! Live forever! <laughs> He awakes, but is in some serious pain from the embalming fluid burning his innards. Enid attempts to put him out of his misery by cutting him up with a random sword from the wall, but since she wished for him to be alive forever, he just screams and screams as his intestines fly around the room. <laughs> like the grossest part of the movie. No, the whole thing. Our 168th story, Blind Alleys, features William Rogers. Major William Rogers, played by Nigel Patrick, is a douche has taken the new position as head of the home for the blind. He exploits his position to live in luxury with his German shepherd, Shane, while the blind men are left to suffer with piss-poor food and no heat. When one of the residents becomes ill, his friend George pleads with Major Rogers to get medical attention, but it's too late and the man succumbs to his illness. Fed up, the blind men revolt and lock Major Rogers and Shane in separate rooms in the basement. Seemingly very self-sufficient for blind men, they begin to construct an elaborate maze in the basement, while Major Rogers pleads with them to feed his dog, who is surely starving. Major Rogers is led out of his room and enters the narrow halls of the maze, which have been fitted with lots of razors. He carefully escapes the hallway just as Shane is released, ravenous for food. He attempts to chase and eat Major Rogers, who flees back into the razor hallway. His screams are heard as Shane catches up to him. After finishing the final vision, the Crypt Keeper reveals that these were not warnings, but how these strangers actually died without repentance. The door to hell opens and Ralph falls into the fiery abyss below. Unable to change their fate, the others enter the doorway. And who's next? The Crypt Keeper queries as he turns to face the audience. Perhaps you, young podcast listener? <laughs> the... And? Excellent job with that synopsis writing. Well, thank you. Were you being facetious with that? No. <laughs> Thanks to you. 
So Tales from the Crypt was released on March 9th, 1972 in the United States. There's no information about its placement in the box office throughout its theatrical run, but the film would eventually gross more than $3 million in the U.S. against a reported budget of 170,000 pounds. So someone do that conversion math for us. I think the dollar is like two to one, three to one, usually. I mean, in 72 money? Yeah. I mean, it's always better than the U.S. dollar, right? So, yeah, so, you know, like, let's just say three, dollars $400,000. Okay, well, it made some cash. Yeah. So, Tales from the Crypt holds a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes somehow with 20 reviews. The audience score sits at 69%. There is no site consensus because this movie is old and no one watches it. <laughs> I feel like people have seen this movie, though, so at least some of the stories, maybe. Yes, dozens. <laughs> dozens of people have watched this movie. Vincent Canby of the New York Times wrote that the film lacks style and is too heavy-handed in its morality. Eric Henderson of Slant Magazine rated it 2.5 out of 5 stars and wrote that the undercurrent of sternness is tempered by a truly bottomless roster of campy excess. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Time gave the film 3 out of 4 stars, saying, quote, It's put together something like comic books, with the old Crypt Keeper acting as a host and narrator. In the movie version, he is played with Suitable Ham by Ralph Richardson. He was kind of hammy. Yeah. Uh, this film has no accolades. Nope. No. Nope. None whatsoever. None. So I don't have much to say about, I mean, the overall cast. I mean, Ralph Richardson, I'm not, these people are kind of before my time. Yeah. And I don't, you know, have the best catalog for like, you know, the British actors of like the 50s and 60s that come out to play these types of roles when they're kind of, and the the old actors nursing home per se, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I, I also don't have that kind of reference. I feel like my horror knowledge as far as like British things from this time is lacking. Like I haven't seen a lot of Hammer movies. I had never seen this movie. I haven't seen the subsequent like anthology films that came after this, like Vault yeah. of Horror and such and such. So I really don't know who these people are. They could be incredibly famous and i know you know like the biggies of like people that could have come into this era and played some of these roles as adults you know like ian mckellen ian holm you know mm-hmm. um fuck i would have loved to see david warner you know oh, yeah people like that but none of these people are in this movie the only person i really recognized was joan collins and of course peter cushing yes peter cushing for sure yeah uh and i liked joan collins in this i mean like she plays the same kind of role in this movie that she does in fucking Dynasty, right? She doesn't have much to do. No, she doesn't. And a lot of these actors really oh, don't. Oh, my brooch. <laughs> oh, I've dropped my brooch. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a twist with my brooch. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I mean, like, she's she plays like a murderous bitch, you know what I mean? Which is very Alexis Carrington of her. Yeah, and I didn't really realize she had a horror background, but she was in a few of these back in the day. Really? Yeah, and that's probably why she was brought into American Horror Story later on. Yes. Oh my God, I forgot that she was in that. Probably acknowledging how she kind of got into stardom. Yeah, I mean, because we'll we'll talk about this movie as we go on, but I feel like, like despite us never having seen it before, I feel like a lot of people probably have. Yeah. Uh, and Peter Cushing, I thought, did an excellent, excellent job. A lot of people say this is one of his best roles because it's so different from what he normally does. Yes. And I, as we get into this movie and sort of talk about these stories, maybe one by one, like we'll get into the reasons why. Sure. So what did you think about the first story? 
and all through the house. Um, I liked it a lot, mostly because like this was an episode of the you know nineteen nineties. Yeah, they read TV series, yeah. right? And there are some differences, and I actually will spell that out later. Oh, good, yeah, because there are differences. It's one of my favorite episodes of Tales from the Crypt, and I, think I really it's the second episode. Yeah, it was, oh. I think it was directed by Robert Zemeckis. I did not know that. Wow. Yeah. Well, he was the guy that like brought it all into TV and, mm-hmm. and did all that because he loved, you know, he loved the uh, Tales from the Crypt and the comics and everything. He loved this movie, etc. And I, I really liked that episode a lot. And so I was happy to see this one. And yeah. I will say for all of these stories, they move really, really quickly. Do they? You don't think so? Okay. When I watched this movie... I was probably about the third story. I was like, wow, this is a really long anthology. Like they're really taking their time. And I was like, this must, I must be about two hours in, you know? And I checked to see how much left. And I was like, I have an hour left. And I looked how much time it had only been 50 minutes. (laughs) I was not on any, like, as usual, I watch movies stone cold sober. And so maybe that (laughs) helped you out. I don't know. I mean, yeah. So I I thought they moved really, really quickly. And this one, for sure, I I thought it moved very, very fast, right? Well, she's like going around her house, like cleaning shit up. And like it's showing the her husband like reading the paper for like seemingly five, ten minutes. I don't know. Like (laughs) I'm just like really. And then, you know, the payoff is seeing like ketchup colored blood, you know, all throughout this. And the blood just looks super fake to me. And I don't know, except for one scene in particular, which we're going to get to, which. Like oh. Very real. <laughs> uh, from this story or later on? No, later on. Yeah, I, I think I know what you're, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought Joan Collins was good in this, which we already said. And I mean, I just like the story in general, right? But as one of the reviewers that we mentioned, you know, um, said that there's a lot of heavy handed morality in this. And it really starts out this way, too. Like the morality is super fucking heavy in these stories. Yeah. And I realized that that's what the comics did or what they were all about. Yeah. The morality, right? morality tales, like all comics, right. really. So, but I, I mean, I don't know. I like an evil Santa. I like horror, um, holiday horror. Yeah. So. And I'm wondering if this was, you know, how they based off of the story originally that they kind of helped base off some of those Santa horror movies later on. In the oh, 70s. definitely. Yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. Night, like Silent Night, Deadly Night and yeah. stuff like that. Yes, for sure. Because that was later in the 70s, right? Uh, that was in the eighties. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you're right about the blood. It looked incredibly fake. Right. And yeah, I like was, almost orange. Yeah. And so she was like putting the blood into that glass and taking it down to like create her crime scene. Right. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like it, it looks very, very seventies. No one could have ever gotten 70s. away with that shit. You know, no, not today. Yeah. And I'm just like, Hey bitch, just unlock the door, take your kid, unlock the front door, let him in. Get his like fingerprints all over there, except that they didn't do fingerprints back then. <laughs> and just call and say it was the fucking crazy guy, you know? How were crimes even solved in the 70s? I don't she even know. She should have literally just called the police immediately and been like, the guy hit my husband on the back. She should have left him where he was. Yeah. Well, she had to do something. Dragged him down the stairs. I mean, come on. Well, she anyway. tossed him down the stairs. She did. <laughs> like, poof. <laughs> uh, the one takeaway I have from this, though, is that phone that she was using is like the coolest fucking rotary phone of all time. I hated that shit. I loved that fucking phone. I was like, Oh, I want it. (laughs) I was like, you have to like, you literally have to pick up the whole phone, turn it upside down and then dial your number and then hold that whole fucking thing. You have to admit though. It's cool. It's like a fucking barbell. (laughs) You also like do curls while you're like waiting for for a phone call. I thought it was neat. So I'll look for one of those. For sure. well. Good luck with that. I know. So what do you think about Reflections of Death, which is our second story? 
Yeah, this is the one where um, the guy, it's basically reverse monkey's paw. Um, well, this is the one where the guy was cheating and got into the car accident. Yeah, reverse right? monkey paw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he comes back in his own perspective, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's what I was saying. It was like they should have really showed that statue from the later story, the wishing statue, like later, later in his like his um, cheater's apartment or whatever mm-hmm. to see like maybe she wished for him back or something. It would have been good. Like you know, it. but she was blind and she couldn't see him. But everyone else who saw him obviously was like horrified. And the thing about this particular segment is that we are watching all of this from the POV of Carl, right? The guy who supposedly had woken up from yeah. the accident. He left his daughter, left his wife, and then went and met with his cheater. And then they were driving and she fucks it up because she's Susan, that bitch. That's right. She is Susan, that bitch. He should not have let Susan take the wheel, but maybe Jesus instead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so the the payoff and the, the payoff on this is that we, he finally gets to his blind mistress's house and we see what he actually looks like, some sort of rotting corpse, right? So yeah. dead for all this time. Yeah. And then it just repeats itself again. I feel like if I saw someone in real life with that looked like that, I'm so fucking jaded from like good makeup and stuff. I'd be like... <laughs> Where'd you get that $2 mask? And I'd be eaten to death. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, someone needs to stay out of spirit. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Spirit sells, sells better makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, another really quick story. I think this one actually seemed the fastest to me. Yeah. So the one that doesn't really fit to me as much is uh, Poetic Justice, right? This is the one with the elder abuse where... Uh, Peter Cushing is playing the nice elderly man across the street who's like making toys for the children, you know, there's a fairly Spartan, but clean life, not trashy like the the neighbors think. But he has all those dogs that he keeps outside. They're constantly barking. So I kind of get it. But this this fucking son across the street, like goes on this fucking crusade and he's a dick. You can tell he's a fucking dick, mm-hmm. a douche. Right. And uh, weirdly, his father just seems very ambivalent to the whole thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like he didn't maybe do anything. Like the story there is that, like, he didn't have any kind of moral judgment. He wasn't going to do anything to his son, and he wasn't going to defend the old guy. He was just there, and he did nothing. And so he was too busy reading the newspaper, and he didn't die. He didn't get punished, other than seeing his son's beating heart right <laughs> ripped out of him. <laughs> um, I th- I liked this story a lot. I think this was my favorite out of all of the five. Yeah, um, it made me cry a little bit. Like I, I, I liked it. I thought it was really, really good. And I really liked Peter Cushing in this. I, yeah, I just kept thinking Peter Cushing cause he, he always has played, you know, like Van Helsing's and the hammer films and like monsters and, 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 uh, bad guys and things like that. I mean, fucking star Wars. I kept mm-hmm. thinking he was going to come off, you know, from like camera, right. You know, and, and be like, you may fire when ready. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but no, this one was really sad. And, um, but the whole time, I was just like, of course, the entire neighborhood probably thinks you're some sort of pederast since you're, like, having all these children in your house and whatnot. But, yeah. again, something that would probably not fly today. But well, was- they didn't say that outright. Just like in Nightmare on Elm Street, they couldn't say that he was a pederast. He had to say a child mo- uh, he had to say child murderer versus molester. And I think that's what they're trying to get through between the lines here. Yeah. But all he was saying was, like, it's filthy in that house. Filthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You have to read between those filthy lines to what he was trying to say, obviously. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, like, I this really reminds me of like, 
stories from like creep show right like bootlegger or whatever like yeah. people coming back from the grave for revenge this is something that you would see in ec all the time yeah and, you know this is also something that's like doubly sad like and i'll tell you later why oh for this one so we'll get to it later in some of the funner more fun facts a sad fun fact <laughs> well it's not a fun fact it's, it's later on when we talk about like the production oh okay i see so yeah all right so next up is the one that I feel doesn't really fit in the five, and that the is monkey's paw? Wish You Were Here, the monkey's paw one. Yeah, straight up. They even have to hang a lantern on it by saying, oh, it's like that story, the monkey's paw. <laughs> just so they don't accuse of like, plagiarism I a little like, bit? I was like, do the fucking monkey's paw. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was kind of laughing at this one because they were like selling their art, and they just happened to finally notice an inscription on a statue they've had, because they... They really yeah. talk about like all the beautiful pieces we've collected, and she's like, "Oh, there's something written on it." I'm like, "Why would you buy it? Not look." And at the they got a shit. warning when they bought it, and they yeah. didn't look at it. Like- <laughs> they were just like, "Just buy it." <laughs> <clears throat> but to me, like, this is where kind of the heavy-handed morality kind of falls apart because these characters don't seem to have done anything wrong. I mean, like, they don't really explain why he's such a bad businessman or how ruthless he can be, right? He seems like just a normal guy who had some bad business luck. Yeah. And they are trying to make this, you know, seem like a morality tale, but they didn't really do anything. I remember thinking that. I was like, he doesn't quite fit with the rest of this group who right. all kind of deserve to die. In their and own he's way. the first one who falls into the fiery pit of hell. He does. Yeah. And I'm like, so why? He didn't do anything except make bad business choices. I don't know. Maybe there's something between the lines in that first business meeting. Maybe. And I feel like the, the morality here is be careful what you wish for, but it's not even close to the same as these other people who are trapped in that catacomb. I don't know. Maybe we'd have to go back to like 1970, early 1970s, like, you know, London or something where, or England or UK or whatever, and be like, maybe there was kind of an eat the rich vibe going on. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. But I mean, like we had said before, this is straight up the monkey's paw and there's really nothing new here, right? It's still kind of an enjoyable story, I think, because this is where we get the most gore. Right? Yeah. And to me, like the most off-putting story comes next with uh, Blind Alleys. And this is about the story of the militant ableist. Yeah. So this guy is really a fucking douche. Yeah. He goes in there for this cush retirement job, I'm guessing, you know, to lead this, to be director of this home for the blind. And, you know, doesn't get them the best food or blankets or pay for heat. He turns off heat at 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> he was like, why? You're not going to be up anyway. dollars. <laughs> What are you going to do? You're blind. <laughs> you can't feel the cold. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and then they have to like do that. Do you know what it means to be blind? Our other senses are heightened. Yeah. And then like later on in the story, the guy's like, can't you see I'm eating <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> oh my God, you're right. And no one said that. No one said anything about that. Because <laughs> I laughed at that. He's like, can't you see I'm eating here? I was like, no, no, he can't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's kind of off putting because they go way out of their way to do something elaborate. Like they could have literally just killed the guy. Mm -hmm. Right. But they wanted maybe this one should have been called poetic justice, you know? Yeah. Instead of that, you know, that was the elder abuse one. Yeah. I don't know. This is also elder abuse and ableist abuse. I I liked this one, too, because it was so fucking batshit. Like, none of it made any sense. You really have to suspend disbelief or try to in this one because these blind men are creating a very elaborate fucking maze. They're, like, hammering shit and putting in razors and whatnot, and all this is going on. And I'm like, 
why do they even need to be in some sort of home for the blind if they can create this fucking shit? They're all walking around. You know what I mean? Like they know exactly where their food is on their plate. And I guess blind people can feel it and know, but. Yeah, a certain way. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of tips and tricks for, for being blind, um, you know, and a lot of things that they can do surprisingly and maybe sometimes surprisingly better than people who are sighted, you know, but as far as like putting together a a fucking building essentially is what they're doing. And then putting those razors on Mm -hmm. the wall, you know, they have to have felt everything. I'm like, okay, I can see them putting these walls up. I can see them kind of like feeling to where there's any gaps or anything else and that it's stable. But as far as like putting the razors and shit on the wall or complicated, you know, pulley systems to open the doors and shit like that. I'm like, that's where I'm like, they have to literally feel their way. And like, if they're putting razors all over these walls, you know, these blind men have like cut the fuck up to their hands. I'm assuming. Well, it took them a couple days, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, still good though, because I mean, when you talk about like morality, I feel like this guy's death as opposed to like, you know, the car accident or Santa Claus, like strangling Joanne or whatnot. Like this guy really got his fucking comeuppance and it was it was satisfying yeah, yeah. it was yeah. too almost too elaborate you know elaborate to really i'm like they literally could have just like thrown him into the room with the dog yep. <laughs> but no this is like 1972 saw you know and so they're like created a trap for him and whatnot but yeah i mean having that like dog come out and try to eat him and having to like run as fast as you can down razor hallway or whatever i'm like yeah i really i really enjoyed that i feel like there's ways to make this more horrific like and also to like tell the story of how they went to all this trouble to do it like i would have loved to see like some sort of like stadium seating with all of like the the blind people around just kind of like listening for everything that was happening you know oh, yeah there were all the like, one guy was just outside the door you know I'm like really you're gonna go this much trouble and you're not gonna like be i don't know that sadistic i feel like to that level maybe the blind man should have been in part of part of that tour group too you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe <laughs> Oh my God. But yeah, so we finished up the wraparound story and surprise, everyone's actually dead. These are not warnings, but it's being revealed how they died. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I I saw it coming from a mile away. Yeah, obviously. But I mean, it's just like, but it still doesn't make sense. Why? Because they all were on their way somewhere else and had stopped to go here. They didn't just like you know, it's like, you wonder why you you drove here today, you know, like how you you came here. And I was like, oh, I was just drawn. I was interested, you know, whatever. And it was just like, I would have I would have liked it if it wasn't the stupid tour guide thing that got lost. That was just for the audience. That wasn't that doesn't really work diegetically. You know what I mean? Red herring. It would have been like, how did I get into this room? You know, that would have been a little bit better for me. Yeah. You know, why am I seated on these stone steps and this creepy crypt keeper is talking to me? You know? Oh, that's right. There's just the perfect number of seats for them to sit down. i I don't know it didn't really work for me plus i was like okay all this is gonna happen and they're like remembering it but they're not and then they're like saying that you're gonna do this but then they already did it and so they're gonna why go to the fucking trouble i mean obviously we probably could have known um it's one of those blind men as a creepkeeper i just know it (laughs) this elaborate (laughs) (laughs) who built this crypt (laughs) all those blind men but first, before you jump in the fire, there's a hallway of razors. <laughs> Girl, be careful. Uh, they do have that one like twisty moment where Joan Collins loses her brooch, right? And then later in that very first story, we see her open the brooch. So we probably could have like deduced from the get go. Yeah, there's some yeah. there's some things that happen, you know. So, but um, let's talk about the production a little bit. Yeah. So Milton uh, Sabotsky of Amicus Productions had 
really been a fan, lifelong fan of EC Comics' Tales from the Crypt. So he eventually persuaded his partner, Max Rosenberg, to buy the rights. So the copyright owner, William Gaines, insisted on script approval. He would sell the rights as long as he could approve the script. And so a budget of 170,000 pounds, like we said, was higher than usual for an Amicus production and was partly funded by the American International Pictures. But only two of the stories are actually from EC's Tales from the Crypt comic books. Oh. The reason for this, according to Creepy, founding editor Russ Jones, is the producer uh, Sabutsky did not own a run of the original EC comic book, but instead adapted the movie from two paperback reprints given to him by by Jones. That's kind of interesting because I, I really felt like all these stories must have come from like the original comics and things like that. Yeah. But there was comics and there was like the omnibus that would come out with a new original stories. And so a lot of these came from those, right? So okay. the story like wish you were here was reprinted from in the paperback collection, the vaults of horror. Uh, if that sounds familiar mm-hmm. by um, Ballantine books in 1965. And the other four stories of the, of the movie were among the eight stories reprinted in tales from the crypt. Also in an omnibus, omnibus by Ballantine. And Vault of Horror was also a another comic from EC, right? And then later on became another another America's like production of anthology. Yes, stories. it was. In yeah. fact, the the next year, and so it was it was also kind of alternatively titled like More Tales from the Crypt, okay, mm-hmm. and things like that. So it's kind of they go kind of hand in hand. I think part of the reason why I like this movie so much is that these feel like Tales from the Crypt stories. They do. Right? It feels like something that you would see in that in that TV series, which is where all of my reference for things like this come from. I've never read one of these comics, right? No. But, I mean, again, like we talked about um, <clears throat> in our deep dive on Creep Show, and just, just about any time we talk about an anthology, right, I feel like everything is sort of, like, taken from EC. It has a huge effect on people. Well, all of these anthologies that we're covering – yeah. come from this mm-hmm. essentially in one way or another creep show all that stuff has come from this or at least really really heavily influenced by tales from the dark side yeah. it was supposed to be a creep was supposed to be tales from the crypt which is supposed to be you know what i mean yeah so i mean like people like george romero stephen king these people like obviously were incredibly influenced by these comic books and i, I feel like we've yeah. talked about these in the past but um yeah i really i really dig that kind of vibe so when it came to casting peter cushing was actually originally offered the to play the part of richard green the husband and the monkey's paw story. Okay. But he wanted to try something different. And so he played the elderly Grimstein instead. And he said to act more himself in this movie because Cushing's wife had actually died like the year before. And so he was really depressed and his character obviously as a widower, he uses the Ouija board to talk with his dead wife. And that's what he wanted to play. Oh, that's sad. Uh, No wonder he was so effective in this story. Supposedly he was a very sweet man and you know, I, cause I'm telling you, like I had to pause it for a minute. Like there were like when he was opening up those Valentine's cards. Yeah. Because he got, he got so excited. It was so fucking mean. I'm about to cry. Yeah. He got so excited because he was already so despondent about it. That dog, his puppy had just come home. He had all that mail and he was like, oh, things are looking up. And then he reads them and he was like, oh. Oh, and opens the next one. And I'm like, what the fuck? I just yeah. like pause the movie and have a little fucking cry. So that's, I don't know. Yeah, some of them were like, we hope you die, or whatever, in poetry. It was bad. And he did. And that's why it was a uh, poetic ending. Poetic justice, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So Richardson's Hooded Cryptkeeper, which is, you know, more somber than the EC original, as illustrated by Al Feldstein and Jack Davis, has a monk-like appearance and resembles EC's ghoul lunatics. 
whatever that is. In the EC horror comics, the other horror hosts, like the old witch mm-hmm. and the vault keeper, wore hoods while the Crypt Keeper actually didn't. So it was kind of an amalgamation. Of all of them? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think the actual Crypt Keeper from the TV show is actually closer. I mean, I think so. I think you're right about that. Although I feel like, and again, we, we cannot compare the, the TV series to this movie. Obviously, one came much, much before the other one. But like HBO really hit the fucking nail on the head with that host. Like the Crypt Keeper from HBO series is fucking amazing. And well, I didn't think it was HBO at first. I thought it was like basically, I thought it was cable. No, it's HBO. Oh. Huh. Because I remember watching it on normal. I wonder if it's on HBO Max. <gasps> I need to check that. the original TV show, Tales from the Crypt, from yeah. the 90s, 80s, and 90s. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was on syndication after. Later on, yes. Yeah. But I used to like stay up late when I was a kid to watch Tales from the Crypt because it came on at like 10 30. <laughs> yeah. It was good. I love that laugh. Mm hmm. So uh, filming started on the 13th of September 1971 and finished in 1972. I'm assuming January, February. Eventually it was released on home home media. So the film was released on VHS in North America in 1985, uh, then by star maker home video in 1989. And finally by 20th century Fox home entertainment under the selections label in 1998, it did not ever receive a VHS release in its native England as it was declared a video nasty and was banned from receiving video releases as a result. I didn't know this was a video nasty. Yeah. why it's rated pg it's so tame and most of the cuts actually took out some of the you know intestines parts which we didn't actually mention because oh uh, yeah yeah. well so listeners if you haven't seen this movie first of all you should go watch it because i mean i feel like it's classic and needs to be viewed but like the goriest part is when that wife is like randomly hacking her now alive husband up the monkey's paw story he comes back and and he's burning alive on the inside because she brought him back to life even though he had already been embalmed Mm -hmm. and so she starts hacking up with a sword and like (laughs) his hand is still twitching and it looks at it pans across his body a little bit and there's like intestines squirming around it's crazy (laughs) and there's a severed hand that's still moving across his body yeah like I mean, it's it's campy. But they cut that part out. They cut that little tidbit out with the intestines for most of these releases. Oh. So I don't know why it would still be considered a video nasty. I This compared to the other things that got that label, like this is really fucking tame. Yeah. So Well, it was eventually paired in a Blu-ray release with The Vault of Horror. Okay. From the following year in 2007 and 2014, another horror anthology uh, that was actually released in 1973, featuring five horror stories shared by five men trapped in the basement of an office building. Mm, that seems less effective. It wasn't as received as well. Okay. Yeah, it's, le- it's the lesser known. So there are connections to the TV show. All right. Right. And so and all through the house, Blind Alleys and Wish You Were Here were all somewhat remade into episodes for Tales from the Crypt television show. Blind Alleys and Wish You Were Here were both changed, though. Okay. And so, and all through the house had the woman killing her husband so that she can take her daughter and live with her boyfriend. The episode ended with her daughter letting the axe wielding maniac into the house as he quotes naughty or nice with the episode ending with the woman screaming. The crypt keeper stated that the daughter was not harmed because the escaped maniac liked older women in pieces. <laughs> God bless that ghoul. I fall I really like that fucking episode. I really want to watch it again, though. So Blind Alleys was now Revenge is the Nuts. 
and was about a beautiful blind girl portrayed by Terry Polo who comes to live at the house for the blind where the sadistic director played by dead zones, Anthony Zerb, uh, tries to sexually assault her. And in the end, she and the other residents take their revenge on the director in the same fashion as the original story. I don't remember this episode from that original run. I don't know. And wish you were here is similar to the TV series seventh episode last respects in that both borrow plot elements from WW Jacobs classic short story, the monkey's paw, and both are directed by the original film's director, Freddie Francis. Oh, so like many of the show's episodes, last respects uses the title of an existing story from the comics, tales from the crypt number 23, but does not use the story itself. The statue from the film is reverted to the original monkey's paw in the TV episode. And the story now deals with three sisters who come into possession of it. One wishes for one million pounds, and she and the second sister are in a car crash where she dies. I just wish it was like an American statue so that she would actually be one million pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Do I look pretty? I don't know. Anyway, and uh, she and her second sister are in a car crash where she dies, and her life insurance policy is for one million pounds. When the third sister wishes that the dead sister was the way she was just before the crash, she learns that she was actually killed by the second sister, and so in, in the form of revenge, the third sister gives her last wish to her sister but she did not say which sister she wanted to give it to thus beating the monkey's paw at its own game and the third wish is transferred to the dead sister who comes back to the dead to kill the second sister that is a convoluted mess (laughs) i know i just had to include that because i was just like can what We need to watch this episode now, though. <laughs> I don't remember this episode either. And on, honestly, it's been a long time since I've seen any Tales from the Crypt episodes. I have like the first season on DVD, and I was always like, I'm going to collect all these, right? And I have not watched these in 20 years plus, maybe. Like, I really feel like I want to go back and rewatch some of these things. There was yeah. supposed to be like a like a reimagining of the series that M. Night Shyamalan was going to do, and it was quickly axed. So. Oh. Yeah. Every episode has a twist. <laughs> Every twist possible. Mm. So, I don't know. I mean, but I, I'm i a fan of that TV series. I also liked this movie. I think that I just like this format, and I kind of like I like morality horror in my anthology horror. Yeah. Right? So, because it's just so easy to do. Nice dusting. Mm-hmm. Bootlegger. <laughs> Bootlegger. <clears throat> I mean, essentially, it's like watching Creep Show, you know? This is all of this watching all these kind of beige, <laughs> from what I would call them. Because <laughs> I'm have i watching these with 2022 eyes for the first time. Right. You know, and so just making me appreciate Creep Show that much better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Comparatively, like Creep Show is like a really fun version of this movie, right? Yeah. And it takes someone like George Romero, Tom Savini, Stephen King to sort of like make this more fun. And that's what I'm kind of missing in this right so when we get to our ratings i'll probably elaborate a little bit more on that but um do you have any fun facts aside from those production notes i have six six fun facts yes i do okay i'm surprised i thought there'd be less than that (laughs) yeah so there's some people i don't know why that have said that this is actually the first movie based on a comic book and it's not the first film to ever adapt from a comic book or strip was the cats and jammer kids in 1898 they made a movie in 1898 yeah about the Cats and Jammer Kids. Yes. Okay. I mean, I know that comic. And there's but. also like comic superhero comic book movies that have come out in like the 1920s. Yeah. So. I mean, and like the Superman TV series was a thing for sure. Oh, yeah. So. So the film was shooting around the same time as Tower of Evil 
at Shepperton Studios, and both films borrowed some of the same sets to use in each film, like the cave set, for example. I don't know what Tower of Evil is. Well, you should watch it. (laughs) (laughs) And report back. I I shall. I shall do that. So Ralph Jason's, uh, played by Richard Green's, Grand Mansion House in the segment Wish You Were Here, is the same house that features as the London house of Gregory Peck and Lee Remick in The Omen from 1976. Uh, it is um, Pyreford Court near Woking in Surrey. That couple kind of reminds me of Gregory Peck and Lee Remick from the yeah. element too, right? Same. Do you kind of get that vibe from yes. them? Yeah. Yeah. It's neat. So in the crypt scenes, Elliot, played by Robert, Robin Phillips, wears a red flower pinned on his jacket over his heart. It's a sly foreshadowing of his fate having his heart ripped out by the undead Grimsdyke. Oh, so it's not just brooches. Yes, played flowers. by Peter Cushing. It's flowers as well. <laughs> <laughs> so despite being top billed, Joan Collins, who played Joan Clayton, has only 15 lines. Yeah, it's a pretty silent performance. Yes. Until, yeah. She has a lot to do, but not too much to say. Right. She uh, saved all that shit for I'm Dynasty. a pretty face, darling. <laughs> she said <laughs> so much say. shit in Dynasty. We ever watched Dynasty? She's yes. Great. She's great on that show. <laughs> So Robert Zemeckis said this is his favorite movie to watch on Halloween since it was released. He produced the, obviously, the HBO series Tales from the Crypt in 1989 based on the comic book series. I can see that. I can see how people were influenced by this movie. I mean, obviously, he would have had to be overjoyed with this movie in order to make a whole series following it. Right. I mean, I can just imagine Robert Zemeckis like reading all the comic books and watching this movie in Vault of Horror or whatever over and over oh, yeah. and over again. Totally. Um, I'm surprised that Romero beat him to... Something like Creep Show, and I feel like aside from this TV series, the Mechas hasn't really made any movies like that. Yeah. So, well, those are fun, interesting. Um, but we have some questions to ask about Tales from the Crypt, nineteen seventy-two, like we do about every movie that we talk about here that we derp dive into on the Film Flamers. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is a horror movie, so we'll skip right over that. Were you scared while watching this movie? Well, Robert, 1979, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I was scared, scared either. <laughs> I'm going to start putting that after my name from now on. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I wasn't scared either. Like, obviously, this is very, very tame compared to things that I have seen throughout my life. Right. And um, I'm just rated PG, for God's sakes. Yeah, and I had a tough time getting through it, but and I wasn't horrified or scared. I, I kind of clutched my pearls a little bit with the intestines because it doesn't match match anything in the rest of the film. Nope, I was completely out of left field. I was like, "Oh, intestines!" Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, so that's where Romero got it." <laughs> but um, yeah, but I mean, while I wasn't scared, like I still enjoyed these stories a lot, and um, they were simple, basic horror stories. And effective as morality tales. And I mean, I had a good time watching it, right? Yeah. So with that being said, out of five stars, what did you give Tales in the Crypt? Two and a half. <laughs> Oof. Oof. I know. I saw your rating on Letterboxd before I watched the movie, and I was just like, oh, God. Like, now I'm not looking forward to watching it. Yeah. You but- and I had a totally different experience watching this movie. Uh, cause I, I thought it had a, I thought I had great pacing. I was, I thought they were effective stories. I was having a good time. I gave this movie three and a half out of five stars. Like I would watch this movie again, Zemeckis style, just because it was quick and fun for me. 
it was slow and boring for me. <laughs> so <laughs> we could not have had different experiences watching this movie. Yeah. But now for the most difficult question, who's the hottest guy in Tales from the Crypt? <laughs> <laughs> the motorcyclist in the skull mask i don't know. You know i was watching this movie and i was just like i don't know how to answer this question no one i feel like this has only happened like once before where we're the like, statue we're, we're like there's no hot guys in this movie i guess like the closest thing would be that that douche neighbor who did that smear campaign against peter cushing not but, even no but he's he's not attractive and i actively disliked that person a lot. I don't know. His, his daddy gave me daddy energy, so maybe him. Oh. BD energy? <laughs> Big daddy energy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, there's nobody. There's nobody in this movie that is just attractive. Womp womp. Not even any side characters. I don't know. No. No. Oh, well. Maybe the tour guide. The trip keeper. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Tales from the Crypt. As always, we would like to know what you think about this movie, if you've seen it, and our conversation about it. You can find us on social media at The Foam Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok. You can also email us at tiredqueens at foamflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Mmm. Who's next? Oh, I dropped my brooch. I'm going to have to bend over. Perhaps you? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And all through my house. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) God. Uh, Guys, we need some more reviews on Apple Podcasts or iTunes as we are steadfastly inching closer to becoming able to be reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes. So leave us those five-star ratings. Tell us why you like us. We're going to read that on the next Shoot in the Flames. Right. And maybe we can actually write a consensus for this movie. That's right. We would do that for you. And finally... We have some bonus content coming out for you this month in October, um, but it's a surprise, though. So head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers, join the family, check out all the bonus content, and stay tuned for October's. Well, Robert, I need to go find my brooch. <laughs> I'm going to bend over and get it. Before then, I need to get a good night's sleep so I can have some sweet dreams. Oh. My brooch. <laughs> I like how that's our main takeaway from this movie. I was like, somebody find Joan's brooch. Everyone stop. Stop what you're doing. Is there a cave intercom? <laughs> She's the last person on earth to wear a brooch. Let's find it. <laughs> it's her cave intercom. <laughs> Attention crypt shoppers. <laughs> oh my God. You just made the movie better. (laughs) See a small, tacky brooch. (laughs) Well, I bet you better off without it. (laughs) 